Greet lads and lasses and good day mates. Welcome to the Tune Under Pod. This is the only dedicated Newcastle United podcast in the Southern Hemisphere. The Southern Hemisphere has a population of 800 million people. We're probably not all Newcastle fans yet, but we'll see what we can do about that. I'm Jack, and with me today is Mark. Hi, Mark. Hey, mate. How's things? Good. We've got Bobby. How are you, how are you doing, Bobby? G'day. How you doing? And we've got Dimitri. How are you going, Dimitri? Good, Jack. Good, mate. Good. So today we're going to talk about uh, the Arsenal game. We're going to preview Arsenal, which is uh, Saturday night, uh, Australia time. There's a, a few meetups going on around the country for that, which everyone's quite excited about. But first, we'll have a special topic which is relevant for any Newcastle United supporter who isn't from or has no connection to the northeast of England. Now, I don't know if people are really aware of this, but Newcastle United are not a successful football club. We haven't won a trophy since we won the Fairs Cup in 1969. That competition doesn't even exist anymore. Unless, of course, we're counting the year that we, we won the Intertoto Cup. We were one of three winners that year. Scott Parker was very pleased to win that competition. Or the time we won a pre-season friendly in Portugal and uh, Colicini was presented with that massive trophy. That's about all we've had uh, over the last 50 years or something like that. So there's been a few brief periods of relative success since the mid-90s, some quite exciting European campaigns, and we've had a handful of usually embarrassing appearances in cup finals and cup semi-finals. But things have not generally gone too well for Newcastle in the Premier League era. And the Nadir, of course, has been the two relegations on Mike Ashley's watch. And the last 15 years have been just shit. Uh, there's, there's no other word for it. Let's just put that out there. They've really not been good at all. So fair play to anybody who's following us through that through those times. And I really feel sorry for, for the young young supporters who've only known Mike Ashley, anyone of about 25 years and younger. I feel sorry for those guys. So it's pretty hard for anybody born in or around Newcastle to not support Newcastle United. You're probably quite likely to be ostracised a little bit from school or maybe bullied a bit if you don't support Newcastle, if you go to school wearing a Man U kit or something. And really the club's fortunes really does impact on the mood of the city and the region. The club is passed on through families a lot of the time. So the, the big local fan base makes some sense, especially when we've only really got a couple of little football league teams and non-league teams for competition uh, around the northeast. But what I'm interested in is how people from 10,000 miles away end up following this often shambolic and disappointing football club, especially when the matches are on in the middle of the night or first thing in the morning, and considering the amount of um, other more successful and high-profile clubs that there are available to support with, uh, with big profiles. Unfortunately, Stephen Taylor turning up at Wellington Phoenix didn't quite raise, raise the profile of Newcastle down under. And likewise, CM De Jong, who uh, was very excited, signed for, signed for Sydney a few years ago, didn't really seem to, to raise the profile much. So I'm going to talk to Mark, Dimitri and Bobby about this, um, see if I can work out if there, there are logical reasons for them to support Newcastle or if they need to go and have their mental faculties checked by a doctor. Um, so the way it's going to work, I'm going to ask. Uh, I'm going to ask the boys the, the three three same questions. I'm going to ask how did they get into following Newcastle. I'm going to ask what is their experience as a Newcastle supporter in Australia, 
And I'm going to ask a bit about experiences they've had when they've been to watch Newcastle play uh, in England. I know a couple of the boys have done so. I know, Mark, I know that you're a little bit different from the others. I know you do have that family connection. So over to you. Why don't you tell us tell us your story about how you've ended up supporting Newcastle? Yeah, so it's uh, it's a little bit on on the weird side. Uh, I, I was born in the northeast. Um, my dad worked in the mines uh, when they were all closing down. He had the choice of taking his redundancy, or you know, heading off and grabbing another jobs elsewhere. So my folks moved off to Australia. Um, uh, went to Perth. My dad got a job in the gold mines in Kalgoorlie. Um, you know, I grew up in Perth. Went to school. Went to uni there, um, and. You know, it's kind of went back on holidays every now and again at Christmas to see relatives and things like that. So I kept in touch, but never really got any kind of football, like, you know, soccer type uh, chat in, when I was growing up. It wasn't a thing. I grew up watching Aussie rules football, watching cricket, um, the usual Australian things. I, I played ice hockey when I was younger. Um, and then when I, I think when I was about 16, I went back for a Christmas holiday. Uh, went, decided, you know, it was just as the Premier League was kind of kicking off and everyone was starting to talk, you know, Man United and, you know, I think Blackburn had just won the league or whatever. And I went back, decided, you know what, I've got to get myself a, uh, um, need to get myself a, a, a football top, um, come back with one. Uh, I had no real idea, but my auntie took me through to uh, Granger Market, um, ended up coming back with the Newcastle top. I liked it. It was it was the black and white stripes. It was the the Newcastle Browner logo on the front of it. Um, obviously, still didn't really know a lot about it, but came back home. And then my dad started taking the piss because he's apparently a Sunderland fan, which I had literally uh. no idea about. So uh, that kind of got a little bit of a uh, little bit of friendly banter between us. Uh, most of my family are all Sunderland fans. Um, you didn't tell us this before we agreed to start. Well, uh, start exactly. Yeah, so it was it was one of those things where it's, it's all been sort of above board and, you know, there's, there's, there's that rivalry there. But uh, Kemp came back to Australia, started following them, um, dragged all my mates to the cup final against Man U, you know, sort of like hunting down whatever little snippets we could find on the internet of, of tribe, uh, tribal football was my go-to gossip column website. And, yeah, just, so just kept on going. So back then there was no Optus Sport or Fox showing all of the games? It was SBS and it was, even when we went to see the cup final, it, I think we ended up in the top room of a pub in Northbridge watching it on this like tiny little shitty TV. And this was back in the days where SBS had like literally the worst reception ever. It was long before digital TV. So it was like this snowy picture in this tiny little TV in the corner of the room with everyone kind of hovered around it. Um, <laughs> it was just mental. It was like, there was just, yeah. And then, you know, as I say, we, we got beat, but you know, never, never stopped following them. Uh, and then I ended up going over after uni, got a job while I was over there on holiday. Um, Whereabouts up in, with? In Newcastle, up in Newcastle, yeah. yeah I, started, I worked for Newcastle Uni um, and just kept on going. I got offered a season ticket while I was there and snapped it up. And, and that's, so which, that was pretty much it. Which year was that then? When was that? So I, I moved over oh, just after 2000. So it would have been 2001, I think I started going for the season ticket. And then had that for about seven years uh, through the Bobby period. Uh, it, was, it was good to have those days, European nights, um, you know, the seeing, seeing some absolutely fantastic games, having some good away games. 
So 2001 was probably my first season ticket as well. So I think it was the summer we signed Robert and Bellamy. Yeah. And we, we all of a sudden turned up and we had a pretty good team. So I was talking earlier about the periods of success we've had. We've not won anything, but that was, uh, for me as well, that was really the, the time that I really started following them. It was a good time to be a Newcastle supporter. Yeah, definitely. And when you came back then, so you obviously decided to leave uh, leave Geordie Land and you came back to Australia. So how how has your experience been as a Newcastle supporter since then with the kickoff times and do you manage to watch most of the games? I try to. Uh, I'm, it's it's a struggle. Uh, I, I did enjoy, uh, so I basically moved down to London for a bit first. Uh, so that was obviously still, still could go. I went to a couple of away games while I was down in London, then moved to Melbourne had four years in Melbourne and then ended up moving up to Brisbane. So when I was down in Melbourne, the the Aussie Mags did their, their meetups like what we're doing on on Saturday night. So there was always a good good group of us going along to the Sherlock pub. Uh, and they had the Newcastle Brown on tap and it was it was great. There was a whole room of people just chanting away with their, their scarves and their tops and their, their flags out. So it was always nice to go along for those, again, those, those early kickoffs that everyone could uh, could actually make. But other than that, it's been a lot of long, sleepless nights, uh, a bit of sleep deprivation kicking in now and again, especially for the Sunday night games. And uh, yeah, I tried my best. Obviously, can't probably make all of the games just because of the kickoff times and you know full time jobs, and you know, don't want to be don't want to be falling asleep at my desk at work all the time. <laughs> but yeah, we just, just kind of try my best to keep up and, and watch as many as I can. It's those uh, it's those Sunday night games, Sunday night, Monday morning, the yeah. two two thirty a.m. kickoff. It's too it's too uh, late too late to stay up, but it's too early to get up as well. So yeah, yeah. It's, they're absolutely. I mean, midweek games are fine because it's like if, yeah. if it's like an eight eight thirty game or eight o'clock game in the UK, it's a you know it's a five thirty kickoff here, five six o'clock in the morning. So you just get up early and watch it, and it's great. Mm. But and yeah, there's those, those Sunday nights. Everybody in Australia seems to get up, especially in Queensland, seems to get up yeah, sort of five o'clock. It's like, you know, in in the UK, it's kind of like seven o'clock is an early start. But here, it's I can't yeah, even I, mean, I can't even sleep in past five o'clock these days. So, yeah. yeah so, uh, so you've talked about the Sherlock pub. So is that sort of a big Newcastle Sherlock pub? Holmes? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so so that's so that's kind of become the Newcastle pub in Melbourne. Pretty much, right? uh, they had enough people that would rock up to it that they actually kept open specifically for the for the Newcastle games. Uh, the there was like a, it's a it's an English pub. Uh, they have a few TVs around. They've got a nice little area by the bar. Um, all the bar staff like kind of even if they didn't follow Newcastle, at least cared if if the games were on. So they were they were still wanting us to win unless it was against their team. So it was, it was a really good atmosphere and it was a nice, quiet, it's kind of like small-ish pub um, downstairs. So it was all sealed, sort of kind of like closed in. It just created a really good atmosphere for everyone. Um, it was mm. good. And it's right and, at the heart of the city as well. Yeah. So yeah. it's easy to get to and everything like that. So you were, talking, you were talking before about your season ticket when you lived in the UK. So what were some of the best games you've been to? Um, when you lived in London, you might have gone to some, some of the away games in London. I've done a couple of away games. Uh, the, the the 
probably the three standout away games. Uh, we drove from work because we managed to get tickets. We drove from Newcastle to Blackburn for the Blackburn away game midweek and then drove back straight <laughs> after the game. Uh, just parked up in the middle of nowhere around just near the ground. It's fully expected to have like the windows smashed in by the time we came back. <laughs> uh, but no, that was a really good game. Um, we went to the Nottingham Forest away game. Um, and we've, I've been to like the West Brom away game as well with like a whole bunch of mates and, you know, just turned it into a weekend piss up as well, which was always good. Uh, did the Millennium Stadium for the Cup Semi against Man United. Um, again, turned talk, that into the talk, weekend. Let's not talk about that one. Yes. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, the, the weekend was great. Uh, I think we yeah. kind of confused a few of the Man United fans that stuck around because that was just like sea of black and white shirts, all having a great time partying. Um, and it was kind of like, yeah, but we're just beating you. Why, why are you celebrating? It's like, yeah, who cares? We're having a good good weekend. Um, so that was that was really good. Then, uh, but probably the, the two standout games for me, uh, one nil win, I think it was, against Juventus in the Champions League at St James's Park. That was just Andy Griffin. Night. Yeah. yeah, that was a cracking atmosphere. Really, really good game. And obviously, I was there at the game when Shearer broke Milburn's record, and, and that was electric. So that that Juventus game feels like a long time ago, um, because it, it is a, it is a long time ago. John Luigi Buffon was in goal for Juventus that day. Yeah, he only retired old. last year too. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's just gone on forever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you, it was funny you were talking there about going to away games, driving to Blackburn. So Australians, they just drive. They think nothing of driving for 10 hours straight without a break. Yeah. Uh, well, you, people from the UK, we, we can't drive to Leeds without stopping out of services to you know, have a little break. You know, it's like the, the Aussies just don't mind driving. So yeah. away games, the, the, you, you boys probably think, when Newcastle fans complain about going to Southampton, what's the problem? You know, that's uh, that's about that's about a quarter of the way up Queensland, if that. So, mm. yeah, as your boys don't mind driving. It's, it's a diff. It's a different scale of things. Uh, the, the, I think the roads here are a lot more travel friendly as well. Uh, I think that there's a lot of roads in the UK where you either spacious. get stuck in traffic. Yeah, it's more more spacious roads here. I guess uh, there's a lot of roads in the UK where you end up on what is sort of posted as a main road but it ends up being this windy back road with people parked on either side of the road like it just doesn't doesn't follow with me and blackburn's but, a pretty blackburn's a pretty pretty funny away game as well i've been there a few times bit of a it was, it was a bit really of a ropey, good, really bit of a ropey town. yeah 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 uh I, I did make it to the uh which one was it there was the arsenal away game uh, at the Emirates when Keegan was in charge for his second spell. And I still remember because Mike Ashley was in the away end in the pub and everyone was chanting his name. It was still very early doors. The the novelty hadn't worn off. He hadn't shat all over the club by that <laughs> stage. So everyone was still excited. We had this new owner in. He always oh, a billionaire. Uh, and how, how little did we know? How times yeah. change, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to throw a question to you. I just want to ask you, what does, what does Newcastle United mean to you then? It's quite a hard question, that. But what what does it mean to you? I, I don't know how to answer that because it's kind of something that you fall into and never really get out of. And you kind of, I'm a bit weird in that if I if I pick a team, you know, yeah, okay, I could have gone. Oh, look, you know what, family's all Sunderland. I'm going to go and follow Sunderland. And I, and I do go to the occasional game with my cousin, but that's more just to piss up. Um, but when you look at uh, 
other teams that I've supported, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I like my NFL, uh, my American football, and I'm a huge Miami Dolphins fan. And I chat to loads of Miami Dolphins fans on Twitter as well. And they've pretty much been as shit as Newcastle since I started supporting them. So, you know, you kind of, you, you, you sort of make, you, you lie in the bed that you make sort of thing. And it's just, you, you stick with it. And it's been a, it's been an up and down uh, times. I mean, yes. Okay. I, I'm thankful that I got to experience some relatively good times under Sir Bobby. Uh, I don't have, I don't have that in me to just sort of bail out. It's been a struggle. I will fully admit it's been a struggle. Um, 14 years under Ashley of just really, really hard work to get up at stupid o'clock in the morning and watch these games, but you do it and, you know, you see that that sort of silver lining on the horizon where at some point we may actually win something and it's going to be all worth it, so. And you get to a point as well where you just can't bail out. It's not an option. No, you, it, you, you're, and the football is very deep. tribal as well. Yeah. That's brilliant. Thanks very much for that, Mark. That's, no worries. Uh, that's, that's a good story, so... Uh, Bobby, over to you. Same same questions to you. Um, over over to you. Off you go. Yeah, so the, I don't know exactly the year or or when it happened. And I, um, when I was young, I played football um, at the local club Meadow Park. And uh, the next door neighbours were a Scottish couple who followed Liverpool. Um, and we'd go over there on a Sunday because my parents worked, and they'd take me back home from the game and. I remember eating soup and watching a game of football and it was uh, Newcastle was on. I, the only memory I've got is little flashes in my head because I was um, a bit younger then and just thinking, oh, wow, this is awesome, you know. Um, and it just attached. So it was when Keegan was uh, manager and I think we were the entertainers. So that sort of stuck with stuck with me and I um, sort of said, oh, well, that's the team for me. And I think it spurred me on that my the guys I was with, the, the young kids were Liverpool fans, so I didn't want to support the same team as them. And um, yeah, then a bit, it's a bit different here in Australia. I think as um, as Mark said, like it was hard to get any content really back then. It was before the internet. Um, so you'd um, get SBS with the, the one game a week or the highlight show and you'd sort of grasp on that to get any news. SPS were pretty good during the week. They'd have world football and you'd get a little snippet. And back then, Newcastle were pretty big news. You know, the Alan Shearer signing and and um, they were making their mark in Europe and obviously being, you know, quite easy on the eye. Um, so we get a little bit of content. And um, so, yeah, sort of stuck with it and, and tried to, to keep up as best I could. And I'd go down to the local news agency in Gladstone Park and... Uh, get this football news newspaper that had all the news and I still remember reading an article when we signed Duncan Ferguson you know it had a massive um thing on that and so excited so yeah I, I can't say I was super passionate back then in terms of like watching all the time but I did um stay in touch and try to get as much content as I could and then um yeah, Bobby came on and um with Sir Bobby came Optus Sports or the the pay TV era um, with the the channel of 24 hours of football and you got all the content um, that you wanted any game live and then came it was the age where I was up till two or three and it just since then it's become a ritual like it's it's hard to miss a game really um, and I think it was then under Sir Bobby 
um, that it became an obsession for me. The, the club, it became, you know, my everything. And to, as you all know, to get up to follow Newcastle at all hours of the night, you've got to have a passion behind it. And I think that's what it came um, to me. So my one dream was to get to St. James's Park once. That's all I wanted. I just wanted to go see the atmosphere and the, the club. And I went over there the season after we got, um, we came up from the championship um, and uh, the six, one win against Villa um, was there for that game. And I remember being interviewed on uh, premier league TV as well. I don't know if it made the cut, but um, <laughs> it, it was the next day. And I was just, so in love with the place that I was walking around St. James's Park by myself and there was a camera crew there and they say, hey, can we interview? And I said, all right. And I started speaking. The guy goes, where are you from? <laughs> and, they go, oh, and they go, oh, this is great, you know. Um, but yeah, and, and so, you know, it just became this obsession and um, no matter what, like I've copped it. I've copped really, you know, the ridicule of being a Newcastle supporter from all my mates that support, you know, Man United, Liverpool, Arsenal, um, the latest jump bandwagon jump is a man city, but all that sort of stuff. But, you know, you just, it doesn't even worry me. It's, it's a, it's a deep obsession, a deep love for the club. And, um, yeah, it's been, been good. How, how, how were Newcastle United perceived in Australia then, um, both in kind of the nineties and in the early, early two thousands, how have they been perceived generally in Australia? I think, um, Early on, I think, even under Sir Bobby, I think we were perceived as everyone sort of liked us um, in terms of, you know, we played good football, we were easy on the eye. Um, we had Keegan that I think had a lot of followers in Australia and then Sir Bobby, who was well-respected. I mean, I don't I don't think I've ever met a person that's ever hated Sir Bobby, you know, like he was just mm. a jet. And I think because of those factors, we were sort of like, but I think it was sort of in that, um, end of Sir Bobby's tenure, we were really good and annoyingly in Europe every year. I think people start to say, all right, enough's enough. And I sort of get that attitude where I think in Australia, people view it, Newcastle as a small, small town team, you know, and just yeah. oh, they're not significant enough. Um, but it's not until you truly delve in and understand and, and you know, get involved with being with the Geordies and you realize how big this club is and. You try to tell people, and they're like, "No, nah, you're just Newcastle." You know, you just <laughs> you know, you're not like Man United. Like I know my brother's a Man United fan, and yeah, he keeps saying, "You know, oh, you know, you can have whatever you want, but you're not going to ever be as big as us," and all this sort of thing. And it's just so yeah, I think we're perceived as a, I think we were liked originally, but I think um, people are starting to get aware of how big we are, and that always causes um, a bit of jealousy. And on the on the point you made there about the Geordies and being with the Geordies, how did you find it when you how long were you in the UK for, and uh, how did you find how did you find that being immersed in the, the culture of the club and the city? Oh, it's an incredible city. It's my favourite city in the UK. I travelled all across um, Europe and the UK. I've been back three times. I even took my best mate, who was a Borough fan. Um, to, uh, we did a football tour the third time we went, I went, sorry. And um, I just love the city it's just and the people. I think my um, stepdad always had a saying, the more north you go in the UK, the friendlier the people. And that couldn't be further, you know, that, that is spot on. Like, that's what I found anyway. And um, I, I love the city. It's a really, 
it blew my mind the first time I went there because I shopped at some place during the day, went and got changed, stuck in my hotel, and then I went out and I told the taxi driver, take me where the, the club is. And he took me to the same spot and I went, no, no, this is the shops. <laughs> we went into these yeah. shops. It was a nightclub everywhere. And you're like, what the hell is going on here? Um, so it blew my mind the first time I went, but it was just, it's unreal. And, you know, I couldn't thank the people. Like, they just... As soon as I spoke and they saw you're a Newcastle fan, they just—I don't think I paid for a drink the first time that happened, and it was just incredible. And you know, as I said, I think even people around our region realise how good a place Newcastle is. I was telling a story about going to Middlesbrough because my mate was there, so we went and watched the game. And after the game, we stayed there, and it was easy to get access to their players because it's a bit of a smaller type club, as you would like me saying. <laughs> and, um, we've yelled out and there's the Aussie boys playing there, Reese Williams and uh, Scotty McDonald. And and they sort of turned around because I heard some Aussies and they came over to have a chat and they've looked and they're like, what the hell are you doing here? <laughs> like, what are you, what are you <laughs> And um, we said, oh, no, no, we're doing a bit of a football tour. I'm a Borough fan and he's a Newcastle fan. They're like, oh, yeah, get to Newcastle. That's unreal. The city's unreal. And my mate's face just dropped. He's just like... I've come all the way to watch Firefly and my own players are telling me to go watch Newcastle. And it's a, um, so yeah, no, I, I love Newcastle. I can't wait to go back again. I think for my 40th, my wife is sending me there to to go again. So I can't wait. I'm yeah, buzzing. So you've, you've articulated pretty well there and you're, you're feeling for the club. What, what can you put into words what Newcastle United means to you then? What? Yeah. It's it's a it, one of the loves of my life, and that's um, I think you know other than family and friends, you, you've got to have something else you know in your life that, that you know, generates an interest and a passion. And I've got two. It's like the local AFL team is Richmond um, that I, I love. You know, um, I'm a mem member of them, and I go to as many games in Melbourne as possible. Um, and um, they they were sh shit for years as well. Like um, they lot. A lot of similarities with Newcastle. Massive supporter base, passionate fans. Um, they love the pub. They love drinking, um, but just crap. And you think, how do they keep having all these fans turn up when they're just so horrible? Um, and so Newcastle's like that for me. And it's just become they mean everything. Like I, the way I say to my mates, I say, "Oh, who would you pick, Richmond or Newcastle?" And I always say Newcastle. I wouldn't. Have <laughs> I don't think I'd get up at 2am to watch Richard play, to be honest. So, um, yeah, that I love the club. I love the city. And um, I think going there has helped me fall in love with them more so. Um, and um, I always said I wanted to be a Geordie if I come back in another life. <laughs> so, yeah. You can you can be an honorary Geordie. That's fine. I'll, uh, I'll bestow that honour upon you. I hope after what I've given in terms of myself to the club that I am an honorary Geordie. But um, <laughs> Geordie used to that. And I was gonna, I was gonna say, you know, the the way we connected was through Twitter as well. So um, it's it's that kind of, and my my friends, most of my close friends come from following Newcastle, you know, and that's why I thought I would put that question in there about what does the club mean to you? Because it really is so much more than just a, a football club. So much more than just watching eleven blokes try and kick kick a ball into a, a goal, isn't it? It's the it's the culture and it's the it's the connection that we all get through it. Yeah, I think um, um, I think like with clubs like Man United, and I might be speaking out of turn because I'm not a Man United fan, but they're such a global team. I don't think they have that connection with 
the city um, or you know, the people of the city as much as I think with Newcastle fans in Australia, and I've found this on Twitter and, and social media, is anyone who supports Newcastle has got this real, you know, bond with the place and the city and the people. And that's what makes it special. And I think that's why it's easy to connect with a lot of people. So that's my take on it anyway. I think every club, even the, the big clubs that have got global fan bases, they do have real hardcore uh, followings as well. It's usually the supporters that go to the away games. Um, Man United always bring a fantastic away following. And it's so that even kind of the superpower clubs do have do have that following. Uh, but it's certainly kind of in the in the social media age, it's kind of um, maybe sort of downtrodden a little bit by the amount of uh, Manchester United are a content machine, you know, mm. um, and they've they've sort of admitted that uh, they're not they, they don't seem to necessarily be about the, the football anymore. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Newcastle with our, ta- our takeover. We've all we've already got a bit of a fan base um, overseas away from Newcastle. But it will be interesting to see uh, if that expands, how big, how big it can get, and yeah. and yeah, I think that all the people that have been laughing at you over the years, uh, we might you might have a little bit of revenge over them. Um, hopefully, yeah. over, over the next five ten years, they've really gone what, quiet. I think they know what's coming. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, obviously clubs aren't going to sell as any players. That's a little, uh, well, but we'll see what, we'll see what happens with that. But I think. Yeah, that, you know, my I've just always said it's not about me this, but I've I've just always said I just want us to win one trophy, one trophy. If it's a league cup, an FA cup, I don't care what it is. I just want us to win one trophy, and I'll be happy. And I think I think that still stands, uh, and it will be interesting to see what happens with Newcastle uh, over the over the next few years. Thanks very much, Bobby. That's, uh, that's excellent. Over to you, Dimitri. Then same same questions to you. Uh, off you go. Yeah. So my. Um... So I'm 29 years old. So my first my first memories of life really are around either football or a local sport here, AFL. Um, my dad used to take me to the local soccer here or the local AFL game, and I've just been an absolute sports fanatic nut ever since I can remember. So the first connection with Newcastle that I had was around the 98 World Cup. Um, I remember... My dad giving me this handout in from the Herald Sun, and it was a whole World Cup lift out. Who, who's playing? The best players, who, who to watch? And there was a big lift out about Alan Shearer, and there was this huge post of Alan Shearer, a huge lift out, all these stats about Shearer. And I'm thinking, this guy's in the Herald Sun. This he's, he must be pretty good. So I said, he sounds pretty good. Let's 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 see who he plays for. I'll go through a little fine print. It says Newcastle United. Sounds good to me. Let's follow Newcastle United, and that was as simple as that. So, if it was um, two years earlier, you'd have been a Blackburn fan. Well, oh, clearly, <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure if you would have been in the Herald Sun two years earlier. Maybe I don't think there was a Euro '96 lift out in the Herald Sun, only the World Cup. Um, so, so yeah, and that and, and that's how it really started for me. And um, basically, ever since then, obviously, because I'm even '98, I was only six, six, seven years old. I can still remember back then. Um, obviously. Newcastle weren't on. There was there wasn't Optus or, or Foxtel or live pay TV each week, but there was that SBS highlight show which you'd watch. Um, but my early memories of following Newcastle, which which sounds quite strange, is going away um, or each morning when I used to wake up, we'd have 
one computer in the house with, with internet. And my brother would bring me a little piece of paper, a little posted note, and he'd write on the notes, uh, English Premier League results. Uh, his team was Arsenal, so he put the Arsenal score first, and then he'd say Newcastle won or whatever the score was, who would score. And that was my, that was how I would keep up with it because I, I was too young. I wasn't allowed to have internet. My brother <laughs> was the one who checked the scores. And that was the early 2000s. Even, even when we went on holidays, it was straight to the internet cafe or the first the first thing we'd do when we'd, when we'd put our stuff on the hotel, we'd say, okay, where's the internet cafe? Let's go check the scores. Let's go check what's happening with our teams. Um, and, and it just grew from there. Even even in school, back in the Champions League days, there was that famous win against Feyenoord when um, Bellamy scored late. I remember my teacher was a Spurs fan and um, we are just about to start homeroom. And um, he's told me to come over to his computer and said, look, look what just happened. Newcastle scored. And I've just gone, I've just gone wild. I was eight, nine, <laughs> whatever I was. I've just gone. And all, all the kids look at me, what, what's, what's Timmy doing? What's, why is he, why is he reacting like this? What's he watching? There's nothing, there's no sport on at this time. Obviously not many people were Newcastle fans or Champions League fans on a Wednesday, Thursday morning. I'm about to go into homeroom, but that was my, I call it sickness. Some people call it passion. I call it, it's all, it's all those things combined. And, and it just grew from there. So basically, since when pay TV came in, probably mid two thousands, um, I obviously Newcastle could watch Newcastle most weeks. Again, the, because I was that sick, let's call it with, uh, with soccer. <laughs> my parents, my parents wouldn't allow us to have uh, pay TV here. So the only way I'd go, I'd I'd convince my grandma, say, "Hey, grandma, can I sleep over at your house this weekend? I'm going to watch the soccer." And uh, she'd say, "Fantastic, come on over." And then so I'd sleep over at her house basically every weekend. Um, watching Newcastle play and she'd, she'd love it because she thinks I want to spend time with her. She'd stay up. She'd watch the games. <laughs> she'd watch the game. I'm, I'm just there to watch the – I'm there for the TV, really. I was like, Thanks. Nice to see you, Grandma, but I'm purely there for your pay TV. Um, but she loved it. She loved keeping me company, watching the games. And and um, obviously, finally, I was able to get Foxtel or Optus back late 2000s. And ever since we've got that off, I probably only missed – I'd say two or three games in the last 12 or 13 years. I'd watch every single game. Doesn't matter what time it is. Um, doesn't matter where I am, where I am. I've always found to watch the games um, and watching us for the last 13, 15 years hasn't been easy. So I think it's quite an achievement. Just that, just watching every game, whether it's two, three in the morning, watching us get belted by Spurs, copping four goals in 10 minutes. I've, I remember that one. I remember the Arsenal game, the 4-0. I remember watching 4-0 after 20 minutes thinking, what is this? All my mates are out. They're out um, at the clubs. I'm sitting there watching Arsenal getting absolutely reaming Newcastle. Um, <laughs> thinking to myself, what have I done? What have I done? And it was actually one one actually quite sad story. Um, in the 08-09 season when we went down, um, mm. 09 was my final year at school. And... I had my one of my first exams um, the day after the first the relegation game against um, Villa. Aston Villa, yeah. Yep, and I um, remember watching it and um, just hoping all we needed was a draw. I think that day, and not thinking, okay, we're down one nil, we can we can get a draw, we can get a draw, and obviously it never happened. I was I was crushed. I was bawling my eyes out. I was devastated. The next day for my exam. Um, I just started tearing up at the start of my exam. I don't know why. I was just, I was just devastated. <laughs> and my teacher's like, "It's just accounting. Like, what? Are you okay? What's, what's going on?" It was an accounting exam. And I said, 
I'm said sorry, sir. Newcastle's just got relegated. I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm devastated. <laughs> I, I, I've never, I've never known relegation like because obviously there's no relegation in Australia, and I've never known any of my teams to get relegated. I just didn't know what to do, and the only way I knew well, I was just upset. I just cried, and I remember getting home that night, and my brother had a slab of Coca Cola because back then it was the Coca Cola Championship. He goes, "Congratulations, yeah. you're in the championship." Here's, here's your slab of Coke, and and that was That's um, not funny. That's not no, funny. No, well, it was not, it was definitely not funny. And him him being an Arsenal supporter, he obviously reveled it in, and they've obviously had their great times as well. But yeah, obviously, like like Bobby said, I've copped a lot of copped a lot of stick over the years being a Newcastle fan. It's been an endless an endless line of jokes, endless line of um, taunts, but nothing has ever wavered my support for the club. And unlike the other boys, I haven't had a chance to get to England or get to Newcastle to watch any games it'd be an absolute dream of mine to to see the boys play live home and away i'd probably prefer to see an away game to be honest because i love that tribal um everyone against you sort of atmosphere um but but yeah it's 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 definitely been a roller coaster and um to be honest i wouldn't have traded anything for the world because one of my i'm a i'm a massive um advocate for passion in in fan bases and Mm. passion and supporters and newcastle fans have have that in spades and we're not like I call it plastic. We're not plastic supporters. We're true um, hardcore fans. We don't follow the team because they're good. They're shit. We still follow the team. We still watch games at stupid hours in the morning here. I still drive my car sometimes on the way to work, watching the games, sort of driving the car, sort of watching the games, um, which is dangerous. I'm not going to advocate for driving (laughs) and watching the games, but, um, the tune under pod, public service announcement. Yes, <laughs> we folks. don't condone. And if there's any police officers listening, I do apologise. Um, I may or may not have swerved a few times um, a few years ago. When just we digging a deep that. hole. Now, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just I'm just making a, a apology right now. I was driving. I'm not sure if anyone knows the roads. I'm driving down Punt Road in Melbourne on the way to work. And Punt Road. Florian Lejeune may or may not have scored a last-minute equaliser against Everton, and I may or may not have <laughs> driven side to side, beeping my horn up Punt Road. Everyone thinking, what is this bloke? He must be pissed off his head. Eight o'clock in the morning on the way to work. But but that's my fandom. I'm, I'm nuts, and um, I wouldn't change anything for the world for it, to be honest. I remember sitting on the bus uh, when Matt Ritchie scored a penalty against Manchester City, and I was just sitting on the back of the bus trying to kind of hold it in, trying to contain it, but I was just going crazy. And the, everybody else on the bus was turning around going, what is wrong with this bloke? So I'll, I'll, tell, you, I'll tell you a funny story about that game. I, was, I just arrived at work. So I've just got in the car park, um, parked my car, and I'm watching it as I'm going into the office. As we've scored, I've just charged up the hallway going, yeah, get in, banging the walls. Everyone like, are you right? I said, yeah, Newcastle just scored. We're one new up on the city. So that's 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 my sickness there. It's um, I'm very vocal with it, but as I said, wouldn't change anything for the world. It's definitely a sickness, isn't it, with you? I oh, think it's definitely clearly. It's clearly, definitely it's definitely uh, an affliction. Oh, mate, there's if 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 you know me and a lot of my mates would attest to that. I've, I'm definitely something not quite right with my sports fandom, and um, especially my passion for Newcastle. There's um, yeah, it's it's. It's unrivaled with people that I know in terms of passion, but but as I said, hopefully there's good times to come, and um, I can start being a lot more positive with my um, expressions. Let's say that. 
Brilliant. And just before we finish this section, uh, I just wanted to throw it out to everyone, really, because you sometimes see this conversation on Twitter and social media about that you have to be you have to be from the area or you have to be from born within a certain radius to be a proper fan. I think I think the three of you have just kind of you know uh, knocked that on the head straight away. But what do you say to people? What's your your attitude to people who who say that? Because it, it it does come up from time to time. Um, and it's 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 just wrong, really. I think you've you've already done a good job of debunking that idea. But uh, if I could just get a little word from each of you, really, about about your opinion about that, Bobby, you go you go first. Um, yeah, like I, I see it, and I sort of just ignore it. To be honest, um, I know in my heart what I feel and what I've done and what I've gone through. And I actually had conversations when I was in Newcastle, and they just couldn't believe like what you do to get up in the morning and um, why you support and the passion you have. And I think when they meet you, they, you sort of debunk it anyway. So I've tried not to let Twitter, you know, Twitter opinions, you know, even get to me. And if anyone says that to me, I sort of just ignore it because, you know, I'm on my own journey as well, like with the, the club and um, I don't want to change their opinion of what they have, but when they sort of hear you and they see your passion, they know you're educated, you know you've been around for a while, you can remember past players and games, and you're not just this guy that comes and is there for success. I think they sort of shift their thinking anyway, and it happened to me when I was at Newcastle. I think a lot of people that are in Newcastle don't believe that there is many supporters around the world following Newcastle. <laughs> That'd be, why would you do that? Um, so when I do meet you and sit down and talk to you, I think, that dispels that anyway so yeah I'm just wait really just wait until they all hear the tune under pod we'll uh, we'll have fans all over the southern hemisphere that's it that's it there's a lot of us too mark over to you same question yeah i think uh there's you always see that sort of stuff come up and i do try and yeah i, I ignore the the actual sentiments i do kind of try and stick up for a lot of obviously myself and you know these these guys that I've kind of met through Twitter, um, but there's there's other people. You know, you look at sort of SoCal Geordie and Caleb and stuff who I, I talk with online as well from the US, and you know uh, SoCal's like buzzing because he's getting to go to a get a go to a game at St James's Park again soon. So you know, the, I think the the commitment even from people sort of who are living outside the region or, you know, might have family or, you know, they, they, they've probably got their own strange stories of how they ended up supporting Newcastle. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's a little bit of a slice on them to like kind of question their support. And when you, when you go through these sorts of stories and, you know, you, you're talking like, you know, people getting up at stupid o'clock in the morning and mm-hmm. doing without their sleep and and that's, that's proper commitment. And, there, there are probably people who are spreading these things online that are, that are probably, you know, watching the replays or match of the day and the night and not actually watching the games themselves. And it's a three mm. o'clock kickoff, let alone getting up at 2 a.m. or something to watch a game. So, you know, it, it swings and roundabouts. I think I think we've we've all kind of shown that we've all got passion for the club. I think and that is it's it's that it's that passion that this club mm. generates and, and the fan base and, and everyone sort of like sort of pulling in the same direction. And you know we're no different just because we're not either we're born in the area or, or not living there now. It's like it's it's no different. We still support the same club and we're still passionate about the team and, and the players and the manager. And you know we want to we want to get together and and watch games with other fans. Well said, and Dimitri. 
Yeah, so similar to what the what the boys have already said, I've when anyone's or anyone questioned my how can you be a real fan? You've never been to England, you've been been to Newcastle, you're not you've got no I've got I'm of a Greek background, so I've got no one who's any sort of affinity with Newcastle. Um, I just say, well, if I'm not a true supporter, if I'm not a, a hardcore fan, do you think I'd be waking up at two AM in the morning? Do you think I'd be <laughs> do you think I'd be buying Obafemi Martin signed uh, posters or Kieran Dyer signed posters, Shay Given. I'm looking at them now in my wall as I speak. I've got, I've got obviously Shearer in the corner. I've got, who else do I have here? Gary Speed, the great Gary Speed. I've got his signed photo of him as well. Um, it's it's a no, it's a, it's nonsense to me to be honest because, I mean, the local team I follow Essendon. I'm not from the suburb of Essendon. Doesn't mean I don't, I can't follow Essendon. Um, I mean, it, it's silly to be honest. And as, as a club, Newcastle, we're no, has not as if we've been a successful club in my lifetime. Mm. So I'm not a glory hunter. I'm not just chasing mm. trophies or chasing success. That's for sure. No, <laughs> so far, far from it. Oh, unless you can't hang on. We forgot, we, we did say we haven't won a trophy, but we did win the championship twice. So let's put it out there. We won the second division twice. So it's still a trophy. Um, but and yeah, so yes, yes, yes. So no, it's not. It's not um it's not something I worry about. Look, I know how passionate I am about the club. I know that even though I haven't been to the region, I'm a, I'm still just as big a supporter as anyone. So yeah, water off a duck's back for me. And I can tell you, since I've moved here, I've definitely not watched every game. Um there's there's been times I've woken up, checked the score and just gone back to sleep. So yeah, I think um, you've done a. The three of you have done a pretty good job of uh, debunking that particular piece of nonsense. It's it's always a dangerous thing taken too seriously what you read on Twitter or social media, but it's definitely um, a, a current that comes out from time to time. So I think it's worth addressing that. That's brilliant, boys. Thanks very much. Uh, that brings us to the end of part one. Uh, we'll we'll look at forward to the Arsenal game um, in the next part. Part two. We'll see you soon. Cheers. Okay, so welcome back to the Tune Under pod. What we're going to do now is we're going to have a bit of a preview of the Arsenal game, which is 10.30 on Saturday night, Queensland time in Australia, 11.30 Melbourne time. We're all pretty excited about this. Most of us are going to meet up of some kind or another uh, across Australia. So uh, it's the first time some of us will have been out for quite a long time. And there's going to be quite a big group, group of people in some of the pubs. So that's exciting. Uh, just uh, to say before this that we obviously haven't had the press conferences from from Eddie Howe yet, so we don't know about uh, what, what the team news is. Uh, we're not sure what's going to happen. We don't even know whether he's going to be going to be present at that game. Uh, he might have to have another COVID test potentially. Hopefully, hopefully he will be there. See if that can make any difference. But I'm going to come to you first, Bobby. I'm just going to ask how how do you expect Newcastle are going to set up in this game? Uh, Bearing in mind what happened in the, the Brentford game, uh, it's a bit of a bit of a tougher game, maybe away away at Arsenal. So, what 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 do you foresee? How do you think this one's going to go? Um, yeah, so I don't think we'd set up like we we did at home. I don't think we'll, we will play the three four three formation. I can't see that against Arsenal at Arsenal. I think we'll be a little bit more restrictive rather than that gung ho style we displayed. Um, I had. A few names circled that I thought may not 
be part of the the team this week, but I don't think he'll make wholesale changes either. Um, I have Darlo, Shah, Murphy, Clark, and Richie as the ones that I'm sort of highlighting. As you know, would you would you play? It depends on the formation and the way we go forward. I think the easiest thing he's going to do is is have Dubravka back. I think that's the first change that comes in. I think that it instantly makes us a bit more formidable at the back. We have that command and that authority there with Dubravka and the way he organises the defence. Um, but in terms of formation and how he goes about it, there's a lot of different options. And going through the history of Eddie Howe and how he plays away from home, um, you never quite know, to be honest. Um I'm suspecting that um, the last time Arsenal played at home was against Watford and they won 1-0 and they played a 4-4-1-1 formation with um, Lacazette um, just in front of um, Aubameyang. Um, so I dare say we'd, do a, we'd go something like a 4-3-3. Um, and the only reason I say a 4-3-3 is I've seen some of the, the training highlights yesterday that the club released and they were still working on drills with the front three of um, Wilson, Jolinton and St. Maximum. So I don't think they want to separate that right now. I think they've, they've got that uh, something going. So to change that into a 4-4-2 mm. might disrupt the influence. So I'd imagine maybe a 4-3-3 with a, a Lewis coming in at uh, a left back, um, Dubravka back in, and yeah, just just keeping the front three as it is, and and trying to hit them on the counter more so than trying to dominate the position. And I think we might see a little bit less possession this week coming up, but we'll play it smarter and um, you know still have that maintain a, a strong press. I think we switched in the game to a four-two-three-one when Fraser came on in the Brentford yeah. game. I know that Eddie Howe is a big fan of that formation. Uh, it, it will need to be. We'll have to have the personnel, I think, to to make sure we've still got a bit of defensive solidity. I think possibly the other day, if we'd had if we'd have had Hayden in there instead of Willick, it would have just looked a little bit more solid. Yeah. Uh, I really would like to see Almiron come in at some point as well. This might be a little bit too too soon for him, but if we are going to go for a four-two-three-one in the future, him in behind Wilson uh, yeah. would would enable Saint Maximin and Joe Linton to be in the team as well. That was my thinking straight after the game last week, and I, I thought we'd, we'd convert to something of that. And But just you get these little snippets from the club now. We're a club that communicates with the fans and shows vision of training. What's and all that about? It's crazy. Oh, it's, it's brand new, isn't it? It's fantastic. And just seeing the, the training pictures and the video of the front three and working on the, their forward runs, I can't imagine we're trained that way because Eddie's very big on we train the way we play. And I can't imagine seeing that on a couple of visions of footage I've seen with it, them taking that away. That's the only reason I, I've gone with that. Almiron's been in the, a couple of those pitches and he took a nice penalty and celebrated quite well as well. In <laughs> he could be coming on um, at some point, but I think they'll stick with that front three. And I think that, to be honest, that front three will cause Arsenal a lot of headaches. It'll cause a lot of teams a lot of headaches um, because you don't know what you're going to get from St. Maximum and Jolliton. And you've got that physical presence of Jolinton that's a bit different out wide as well because he is a unique type of talent. So, yeah, I'd say that's something we're going to go. And the big one is Dubravka coming in. And also, as you mentioned, Eddie Howe on the sidelines will make, I think, 
a little bit of difference too. So if we can get those two changes in, I'm very confident we can get something out of this game. A few of the journalists have painted this goalkeeper conundrum as a big decision. I think we were quite unanimous when we spoke uh, on the pod the other day that it's not really a big decision. If Dubravka's fit, then there's no real, there's no reason at all why he wouldn't start the game. I think most of us when we were doing the watch-along said while halfway through the match that it was a no-brainer to bring him back in. Yeah. Clear number one. Clear number one. Yeah. I think I said to a journal on Twitter, I said, no, he he, he pointed out that it was going to be a a hard decision. I said, it's the easiest decision I think Eddie Howe's going to have to make. Mm. Uh, Mark, have you got anything else to add to that? What are you hoping for? No, I, I'm thinking like if we can get Dubravka back in, as as Bobby said, it's like he just adds that little bit of stability, um, that leadership at the back, and I think the the, def- the rest of the defense kind of feed off his command of the box. Um, so that kind of eases them. He'll make some good stops. He always does. Um, he always pulls out one or two like absolute sort of worldy saves mm-hmm. every game. It seems. Um, yeah, granted, he gets plenty of practice. Uh, then. We're probably looking, yeah, I, I, when Howe first took over, I kind of looked at his preference for that 4-2-3-1, and I thought that really suited, especially the forward players we've got, where you can play Wilson up front, but with Mickey in behind him, um, we, we know Almiron's got a good engine on him. He'll run all over the park all day, uh, and that kind of frees uh, St. Maximin and Joe Linton up to like, sort of keep doing what they were doing against Brentford, really. Uh, they both seem to do the graph, but they, they both tracked back when they needed to. And hopefully we wouldn't get exposed quite as much without with uh, with, a, with a flat back four as, as such um, as we did as, as playing sort of wing backs who maybe struggled a little bit at times just to get back in into position. And what about you, Dimitri? You may be hoping to see Lewis come in. Um, yeah. I think he's. I think he's worth a shot. I mean, he's getting the game for his national team, doing and getting quite decent reviews playing for them. I think the other area I think we need to change up. Um, like Bobby said, I reckon Isaac Hayden might be a good shout to start this game um, for a bit more strength and defensive stability at the back um, in the back of the midfield. I mean, we're not going to probably have fifty odd or fifty five percent of the ball that we had against uh, Brentford last week, so. The key would be is if Hayden, if Hayden can play that role well and release Shelby a little bit further forward to release your St. Maximans and your Joel Linton's on the break, that could be very important. So I see Isaac Hayden probably coming in for, for Willick, even though Willick's playing his former team. So maybe he'd have something to prove against them. Um, I still think Hayden would be... Well, Arsenal's his former team as well, so maybe Hayden will have something to prove to them. But... I'd, I feel that Hayden would be a good compliment to Shelby, especially this game, when we need to be keeping it tight at the back. And it's just nice to know that we don't have to write these games off. You know, previously, we would have just we would have just turned up to this and expected to to lose quite comfortably, uh, which is what pretty much always did happen. Mark was uh, Mark was given the the fun task of looking at our recent history against Arsenal. <laughs> Yeah, uh, so that, that did not make pleasant reading, I have to sorry, say. Um, sorry about that one, but what did you, dis- <laughs> what did you discover? Well, it, yeah, it was a little bit of a horror show. Um, so basically, we've won five games since the turn of the millennium against Arsenal in the Premier League. So that's not exactly hopeful for a result, um, <laughs> given that we've only won twice down in London as well. Um, 
And the last time we beat them down in London was, I think it was 2010. So Andy Carroll, yeah. Andy Carroll with a yes, header. Andy yeah. Carroll header. Yeah. So not a great record. Um, our last three games last season, we actually played them three times last season. Um, so we had our home and away game and we also played them in the FA Cup, took them to extra time. Uh, Fabian Shah got uh, a red card and sent off. And we basically lost those three games by an aggregate score of seven nil. Uh, we failed to score in any of the games. Um, we conceded some pretty sloppy goals as well, uh, where we just didn't clear the ball properly. But again, it was that same old, same old of just sitting deep, trying to soak up pressure. And at some stage, we made a mistake and got punished for it. Um, I think the if we can push forward, I think that immediately takes some of the pressure off the off the that uh, off the defense from from not being able to make that mistake. But one thing that did stand out to me and pretty much sums up Steve Bruce's time in charge at the club. In those three games, we played game one, we lost 2-0. 5-3-2 was the formation. Game two, we lost 3-0. We played 4-4-2. And then game three, we lost, uh, I think we lost 2-0 again. And that was a 5-4-1. So three games, three separate formations, three lots of personnel, and they wondered why nobody felt comfortable in their position. So that's always been an issue for me with Steve Bruce was like he was just literally throwing formations and throwing player choices at the wall and hoping what something would stick, picking that, and if it didn't work, you would change it for the next game. Um, there was no remember, sense of purpose. I remember Steve Bruce's first game against Arsenal at St. James's Park, and it was an absolute shambles because... It was the game where Jetro Willems was on the bench. <laughs> yeah, he came, and, didn't know what to play. <laughs> he came on and he just visibly didn't know what he was supposed to be doing. Craig Cope was, said that. Yeah, Craig Cope's come out and said, that was the moment I knew Steve Bruce had no idea. <laughs> he goes, I gave him a chance up until that moment. And he goes, first game. Yeah. Yeah, has. yeah so that was, uh, that was a sign of things to come there. With, uh, with yeah, Steve. and so we basically, those three games, we had 38% possession, 33% possession, 38% possession. And that's, again, tantamount to what we want. We know we, we, we didn't register, we registered 12 shots, but that needed 30 minutes of extra time in the FA Cup game. The rest of the, the other games were four shots on uh, four shots and five shots with one shot on target in both games. <laughs> so... There's not a great deal that Eddie Howe needs to get this team doing to improve on those statistics. But one thing that has actually made um, made me a little bit worried is if uh, Aubameyang's playing. He scored four goals in three games against us last always season. Always scores against so us, yeah. He always scores against us. He's one of those players that we kind of... We need a defender to be able to get him out of the game, and I don't know who that's going to be in the current squad. And that's the that's the only thing that's kind of got me worried. Um, the lack of possession. Hopefully, we'll we'll hold on to the ball a little bit more. Uh, we we will create more chances. I think that's pretty obvious with the players that we now have in the squad um, playing forward under house formation. If Brentford was anything to go by, I think we we will be a little bit less gung ho. I think how will probably have a, a nice idea of a way to exploit Arsenal without necessarily just sort of throwing the kitchen sink at them. But it, to me, they need to have somebody to be able to watch Aubameyang, um, and and that's the bit that's worrying me. Mm. I had a look at the um, the last time that we'd we'd beat Arsenal, and I've got absolutely no recollection of that game. Uh, it was in, 
It was in 2018. Yeah, yeah, one, two, two, one. yeah. Yeah. So I think it was when I was I was traveling. Actually, I was on the way to Australia. I was pro- I think I was in India or something like that. So that's probably why. But yeah, there's there's a few games that I looked at and I just did not have a clue. It was a, yeah, it was a late season game from memory. I was watching it at a pub actually in Melbourne, and um, I think from memory we went one up, and then they equalised, and Richie I think scored the winner that day. Mm. Um, that was late late in the season when we had that good run with Rafa at the end of that eighteen season or seventeen eighteen season. Was that the, the t- corner flag and he almost killed a bloke? Was that the game where Richie kicked the corner flag? <laughs> oh, he kicked, the kicked the flag think, into the bollock, and it was bollocks, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah that yeah. might have been. That might have been the Chelsea. They might. He's done it a few times, I think, but it might have been the Chelsea. Was it the Chelsea when Hayden scored the winner and then Richie's just gone <laughs> mental? Yeah. yeah. And the time, the time before that at St James's, that would be Arsenal. There's been a nice video on Twitter today of Nobby Solano scoring. Great so you've goal got, that was too. Yeah, you've got an 80 year old Alan Shearer holding the ball up and then laying it off to Nobby, and he just has a touch and puts it in the bottom corner. Beautiful, beautiful goal. What a player! Very underrated player, Nobby Solano. What a player! Yeah. And uh, and Dimitri, you, you were you were looking at the Arsenal team. So what, what have you what have you made of them? They've, they've had a few not too good results. They've they struggled to beat Watford. They drew with Crystal Palace with a last minute goal at home. So they maybe you know they, and they got hammered the other day against Liverpool. So what have you made so of them? What do you think? Yeah, so it's interesting. They started the season very slow, quite quite slow like us. There was a lot of pressure on Arteta. He was probably one or two games away from the pressure really ramping up. Um, they have improved, obviously, since then. They've started picking up results there. They're in the, they're in the top half now. They have had an issue with, with scoring and, um, and putting teams away. They've only scored 13 goals in 12 games, so basically a goal a game. Um, even that Watford game, like Mark said, they only won at 1-0 and not were hanging on, but weren't, weren't looking like they were going to score that second. Same with Palace. They couldn't kill Palace off. Palace came back and, and equalised, so... They have had speaking to a couple of mates who are who are Arsenal fans. They have had issues with putting teams away. Um, in in their defence, their level. So they've when they've played the top teams this year. So they've played City. They've got pantsed. They played Liverpool on the weekend. Got pantsed. Um, but besides that, they've done they've done decent against the bottom half um, in this year. They seem to have a good solid back four for probably the first time in a long time. Their their defence along with their keeper. Who how knows well Ramsdale um, mm. has been doing a great job. I mean, everyone probably seen the videos of Ramsdale's performance against Leicester the other week when he was just mm. he made that outstanding save from yeah. from Madison from the free kick. So that he's he's definitely not going to be easy to beat. But so solidity they do have in their team, but goal scoring has been a problem. I mean, Aubameyang does have a great record against us, but he's not in good form. Um, Arsenal don't really have anyone. Else is an out-and-out striker. Lacazette's in and out of the team. Um, the youngsters have been playing and scoring. Smith Rowe has been scoring. He's mm. he's almost playing for the national team, I think now um, for England. So they do have options, but they're not they're not someone who I think we should fear and think they're going to blow us off the park and and put two or three on us by half time and it's all over. So there definitely will be chances for us to at least stay in the game and hopefully with that extra attacking intent that will show compared to previous times against Arsenal or against any of the big teams, we might just carry enough of a threat to to score or to at least create one or two chances and maybe pinch pinch an equal pinch a goal. Craig Craig made the point in the pod the last pod that we did that 
Arsenal sometimes struggle when teams get into them. They don't like the physical challenge. He was making the point that if Joe Linton can play like he did against Brentford, we might have a chance of unsettling them a bit. And Arteta seemed to lose his head in the Liverpool game. He, mm. Him and Klopp seemed to have some kind of issue. So that could be a potential avenue into upsetting them. Of course, Arsenal's always been known to... They'd love to play that pretty football, but not too interested in the harder side of the game. So that's, that's again, that's where I think Isaac Hayden is going to be very important because if he sticks a couple of tackles in and, and even commits a foul, gets a yellow card, he might get under the skin of a couple of their players. Hopefully, John Joe doesn't lose his head and, and go too far like he <laughs> has notoriously done before. So that could, that could be an avenue for us. I mean, if we're just going to sit back and wait for something to happen, most likely it will and we'll, and we'll concede because our defence isn't strong enough. Even with Zapravka there, our defence isn't strong enough just to sit back and soak it up. So we're going to have to pick our moments. We can't just go all-out attack from the start, similar to Brentford game. We're going to have to pick our moments. And I think this Arsenal team is is there to be had if we can if we can do that. So if we can stay in the game long enough and not, and not lose it early, I think there will be definitely a chance for us towards towards the second half, at the end of the second half, that we can we can score goals on them. So then they're, they're not going to put us away is from what from what I've seen and from what I've um, heard about them. They're not going to be um, putting us away on the scoreboard. So there'll definitely be a chance for us. It'll just be whether we can stay in the game to, to take advantage of the of that stay, stay in the game and, and hope for a bit of bit of magic from from one of the forwards. Well yeah, we've got the talent like like you guys I don't, um said before, we've got the talent up front now, especially if they're all fit. There's definitely enough attacking options to cause most teams, most defences problems. So it's about staying in the game, winning the ball in the right areas of the pitch and giving those ch- those players a chance to do something, giving you some maximans, giving him the ball right on the touchline near the 18-yard box, not giving the ball to him on halfway, giving the ball to Joe Linton in the right area, giving Callum Wilson one or two chances. I mean, besides the Brentford game where he, he was, wasn't as sharp as he usually is, give Wilson one or two chances, he's most likely going to score at least one. So that's going to be the key for us, I think, to stay in the game and get our, get our magic men on the ball in the right areas. Mikel Arteta will be very pleased that the most important manager of the last 100 years isn't on the opposing bench as well. <laughs> there, was oh. a, there, was a, there was a lot of crazy comments about Steve Bruce when... Oh, the love fest. I think, the love I think fest is out of control. I think that one really took the, took the cherry. I think that period of my life, I thought I was in an ulterior, alternative <laughs> universe. <laughs> where I was looking at things so differently from everyone else. Yeah, that comment I, got me. I got so excited yesterday when he was linked with Man United. And then P- Peter Schmeichel went onto the TV and said that you think Steve Bruce should get the job. It was absolutely <laughs> astonishing. If he gets the job, no, they surely not, surely not. But um, I'm sure he's put his hand up. He's ex-United. Ex United cap Man United captain. I'm sure he's put put his hand up, but you, you're surely not. Surely he wouldn't get that job. See, see, I think Steve Bruce is a and the ultimate motivational manager. Oh yeah, I'm sure. I'm he'll, sure. He'll, and and I, he's he's one of those managers that'll come in and go, yeah, come on, boys, let's get at them. Go on, and lads. Go let, on. Let the leash off a bit for the players. He'll get a he'll get a short term response. He's probably going to get a couple of results, but then eventually it's going to catch up and the results will start going downhill and it'll be everyone else's fault, but he's own again. Um, but then I, I suspect if he gets the job, he'll get it till the end of the season and then they'll replace him in the summer. 
I think it would break Twitter if you got the job. It would just. Yeah, would everyone, well, where, I don't think I could stop laughing. I would not. Where, I can, we've we've got we've got Manchester United coming up. I think at the end of December. So if yeah. he gets the job before then, God helps St James's Park that night. <laughs> yeah. he, he is absolutely <laughs> here. The, the, just the thought of Bruce trying to coach Cristiano Ronaldo. It's just a lift. It. It's just incredible, isn't it? Oh, There's Bolson. Go on, kick it, kick it about. Let's go and have some fun. Come on, Cristiano. I know. Amazing stuff. He, he looked good, though, when he was uh, in Dubai at the cricket. So maybe you can just have a little bit of a break and, yeah, stay out of it for a bit, Steve. An $8 million, pay, an $8 million pound payoff always makes me look good, too. It does. It does do that to a man, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm. Well, that's fantastic, boys. That's it for today. Um, thanks very much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, uh, comment, and like on YouTube. We're also available now from all the usual podcast places. Uh, we're on Twitter at TuneUnderPod. Uh, please get in touch if you've got any questions, any comments, agreements, disagreements, anything you want us to, to talk about in future pods, any ideas you might have for uh, things we can talk about in future. Uh, we'll be back next, probably next Tuesday. Um, pop, it'll probably be for a review of the Arsenal game and maybe a quick preview of Norwich. And then we'll be back again later uh, in the week to to review Norwich and preview Burnley. It's a it's a big week next week. Um, I was I'm going to give another plug to the the meetups that are going on around the country. We've got one in Melbourne, one in Sydney, and one in Brisbane. Uh, so we're really looking forward to that. Uh, catching up with some Newcastle fans and uh, having a good night. Uh, so cheers, folks, and how are the lads on Saturday night? It is for us at the Emirates Stadium. Thanks, boys. Cheers. cheers.